Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to an unexpected podcast, New Year's edition, or at least New Year edition. Welcome to 2023. This is our first record of 2023. I hope everybody had a good holiday and a good new year. Today, we're going to talk about three things. We have a list by an undisclosed listener who asked to remain anonymous, um, no doubt because he is a high-powered government official who wants to uh, make sure that he doesn't receive any uh, death threats as a result of the fact that he's posting lists or listening to our podcast. Um, The next thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about some new terrain releases from uh, Games Workshop, some Gondor terrain that looks uh, great and kind of expands on the terrain that came in the box set. And then we're going to revisit an old topic. Uh, A long time ago, we went through various cycles of our top five lists of different things. And some of those have now changed because of the new FAQs and um, uh, various items that have uh, come out in new releases. So we thought we'd revisit that. And we're going to go through our top five releases and uh, also uh, some top five releases from Rainier and Rob, who are sending theirs in virtually, uh, they're both on childcare duties this morning and couldn't join us, but they've sent in their top five and we're going to talk about those. Okay, so I think to start off, we are going to talk about the list from our unknown listener, which I'm going to put up in a second and then maybe Evan, you can uh, do the read through here. All right. So our mystery listener um, appears to have a Thranduil's Halls uh, Survivors of Lake Town Alliance. It's at 650 points. Um, they've got uh, Thranduil with heavy armor and the two swords, four palace guards with shields and spears, four elves with shields, two elves with bows and glaives, one elf with bow, a sentinel, and a Mirkwood cavalry with shield. Second warband is Legolas on horse. One Mirkwood cavalry with shield. Two elves with glaives. Four elves with shield. Three elves with bows and glaives. One elf with bow. And another sentinel. And then in the third warband is a militia captain with four Lake Town militia with spears and two Lake Town militia with bows and spears. So all in all, this comes out to 34 models. Um, and just quickly cal- calculating the bows here. That's two Lake Town militias with bows. And then it looks like five and four elves with bows. So that's nine. So that's 11 bows in total plus Legolas and his three shots. So um, so first impressions. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Is, before, before, before you go there, there's just a few notes from our mystery listener. So um, he's going. Uh, he's planning to take this to the uh, to a tournament for six hundred and fifty points. That's good. Good versus evil, random scenarios with no instructions. And one key point that he noted here is that the lack of banner is deliberate, as Thranduil is the key piece. And from his experience, um, he absolutely uh, feels like he needs a second sentinel to uh, to get Thranduil into position, and that two sentinels and Legolas may very well be enough to get rid of enemy banners. So that's just a note why there is no banner in case you wanted to mention it. So go ahead, Aaron. 
All right. So, uh, yes, that's all very true. Um, the first thing um, that we should probably point out is that... Um, there's no banner. Yes, there's no banner, uh, in case you didn't notice from the comment that he literally left. Um, but other than that, uh, this list is actually uh, 652 points. Um, uh, yeah, we need a, we yes. need like a buzzer we can hit when that happens. <laughs> yes, so according to uh, my list building software, which is very reliable, um, this came out to 652 points. So just to correct that before you send that in um, to whichever tournament you're going to, um, probably just drop a glaive off a of bowman or something like that, um, and it should be good. Thoughts on the actual list, however, and not just how many points it is. Um, I I like this list. Um, I think. The choice of the two sentinels is interesting, and obviously the the person said that they're that they prefer these two sentinels and they don't want to switch them out. Um, that's obviously not the choice I would make, um, but it's a choice that they're making. Um, some things that I feel are missing in this list, especially with the fact that this is going to be a good versus evil tournament, I feel like having the crown on Thranduil, um, if you can, is just so important. Um, because last time I played against a list very similar to this at a 650-point uh, good versus evil tournament, I won my game against that person, mainly specifically because they didn't have the crown on Thranduil. Um, and not having that crown uh can be quite problematic especially against horde armies which evil is very good at making um and which are especially good at 650 points um as to how i would fit the crown in obviously the first thing i would do um which we can't do in this situation is i would take out one of the sentinels and put in a crown instead um but because that's not an option um it makes things a little more tricky. There's a couple ways to do this. Um, one of them is to just drop two elves, um, which should get you down to roughly the right number of points, um, which will drop you two models and then get the crown that way. Um, an alternative would be to turn a decent number of elves into uh, Lake Town Militia guys as well. Um, but that sort of weakens your army um, in the sense that you no longer have a, uh, a large number of elves to use and it's more 50-50 with Lake Town Militia and elves. Um, and it also, uh, it also decreases uh, your shooting power um, in the same vein. So uh, that's a couple of ways of dealing with that. But I'd say my advice would be to just try and fit in the crown um is if you possibly can yeah it, that's interesting because that was the exact same thing <laughs> that was the exact same thing i was going to say is um that it strikes me that in a good versus evil tournament this list needs the crown um and i also was going to drop a sentinel to do it i hadn't i hadn't noted the um 
the 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 supplemental uh, restriction that was put on this list that they wanted two sentinels. Okay, that's fine. Um, I I actually usually end up taking no sentinels, but I could see where in a good versus evil tournament where you're going to have some lower uh, courage out there why you'd want at least one. I mean, another another option to get that crown, which would get you at least some of the way, would be to take Legolas off of his horse. Um, I mean, I know the argument for keeping him on the horse. He has more hitting power. That's, I think, less of an argument these days now that wraiths can just zap people's horses out from under them. And Legolas in particular is somebody who I think is kind of yet less useful on a horse than other people, you know, than, than you might think, because, you know, oftentimes he's, um, you know, kind of hiding somewhere and shooting, but you know, the mobility and the shooting, giving him the extra range, um, you know, maybe worth it. It's just, it's, it's an option. Um, otherwise I think, I mean, at 34 models, I think at 650 points, you've, you can stand to lose a model or two. Um, I kind of like the option of changing at least some, maybe drop like one elf with bow and glaive, um, or one elf with shield, and then, um, change a couple other guys or a couple other elves, um, either with glaive or with shield into militia spear or militia with uh, shields um, might be the way to go. But I agree that if, if I was pushing this list in a good versus evil tournament, I'd want the crown on. Yeah, I also agree uh, with the crown, especially especially because the good, the good versus evil, because of the numbers. Um, so that's always useful. It's, it's um, Yeah, it feels to me that... The two sentinels are cool, but if the goal here is that um, you're trying to use the two sentinels and Legolas to take out a banner, then any player who notices that is going to just surround the banner with, let's say, three models. Then even if you were to move two of them away, there is there is always a third one to pick up the banner. So I don't think that's necessarily a very... A reliable strategy to try to take out the banners. So personally, I wouldn't necessarily play the second Sentinel. I mean, it's cool for good versus evil, but I don't know. I just feel like there are better uses of the of the points, like the crown or like a banner, or both ideally. Although it's quite hard to actually be able to fit both of them in. Well, I mean, if this were my list, I'd have no Sentinels and I'd have a banner in the crown. Hmm. Sure. I mean, alternatively, I, I would also say like if you wanted to keep one Sentinel and you really wanted to have both Banner and the Crown, then you can possibly swap some Elves for some Militia. But the more Militia you have, the, the quicker your army falls apart. So that actually also makes me wonder whether the whole Militia contingents should even be there in a sense, because... Uh, the captain and six militia is what 75 76 points something like that yeah but you, you need you need a march so you need a captain and once you put in an elvish captain i mean it's 600 i mean the, the the classic list 
if you were just to keep it pure, would be Thranduil, Legolas, Palace Guard, Captain. Mm-hmm. And at 650 points, you end up with a very small list if it's pure elves. Yes. So I think this is this is a reasonable way to get two more might points, a march, mm-hmm. and a few extra guys to bulk up your numbers to they can just kind of like stand behind elves and say, I'm an extra attack. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. I, I wouldn't I, remove the captain. Now, so in that case, I'm thinking, what if what if in that case you went in the in the opposite direction? So let's say, let's say you drop both sentinels and actually added more stuff to uh to the Lake Town people, like six more militia or something like that. Uh out of that, you wouldn't necessarily like I would still take a banner. But if you're not someone who really wants the crown, you can also try to overcome enemy numbers by just increasing your own numbers too. So, but it's not enough, right? I mean, you're at 650 points, you're talking about evil lists that can be upwards of, you know, they're going to be upwards of 50 models. Yeah, for sure. Right. For sure. And, uh, you know, having, having two or three more figure, you know, having 37 models versus 34 models isn't really going to move the needle tactically. Mm-hmm. Certainly not in the same way having, you know, a terror bubble is going to move the needle. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, does the terror bubble or the crown require you to have will points still? Just it does. Checking. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm but, just wondering, like, if you're, if you're facing ring grades, then the crown is useless anyway. It, it, it's not useless. It forces yeah. the ring race to invest a significant amount of resources to get rid of Thranduil's will. Also, remember Thranduil has an elven cloak, so he can hide before combat hits. Sure. So when combat hits is when they're going to have to sap will Thranduil, mm-hmm. and that's when your wraith and other magic users are going to want to do a whole bunch of other things as well. Mm-hmm. Um so it will draw will points to Thrand will, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just trying to like find ways how to how to change anything in this list. And it's it's almost like the sentinel and the other sentinel for the crown and the banner seem to be like almost the only options. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to, you could. There's a lot of glaives in this list. There's uh, let's see, five, seven glaives in this list. So that's 14 points of glaives, um, which is a lot of points of glaives that, you know, if you wanted to drop, say, the two, so the two elves with glaives, let me just see how much a base elf costs here. I can't remember off the top of my head i mean if you if you dropped all the glaives you could almost have three more militia uh, militia with spears yeah so i mean that's see the the two elves with glaives on their own are that's 22 points Mm -hmm. um so lake town militia are what five and then six with a spear is that right yeah they're six with a spear um so that's two more lake town militia just bodies um and then uh um or you could you know drop a drop an elf bow uh, or you know just drop a, a bow from one of the elves and you could get four more lake town militia so that's i mean that's a way to go with I mean, spear i'm just i'm just personally not a fan of elves with glaives i tend not to ever use them just because um 
they're just so expensive and they're still defense five, right? So yeah, I, the reason to give, at least in my mind, the reason to give Elf Glaze is if they're going to stand behind something else cheaper, um, as opposed to this strategy, which seems to be to have the higher armored elves in front um, and the militia spear behind. And I think it, it, there's a fair argument here that um, that's not the most cost-effective way to go. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe get a fruit of, so like the, so the, the two elves with bow and there's two elves with bow and glaive is actually how many, there's five elves with, with bow and glaive and that is 65 points i think right there that's a lot yeah it's a lot of points i mean if you drop if you drop two elves if you, if instead of dropping the two elves with glaive you drop two elves with bow and glaive um you could give one of the other elves with glaives a bow and still get four more lake town militia spearmen to stand behind random stuff and maybe you create some more elves with shields. I, don't I mean, know. There, there may be a way. I think there's a way you can kind of bulk up the numbers or get some. Get some I mean, dropping two elves with bow and glaive gets you either the banner or the circlet of kings too, plus like one extra point to throw a shield on one of these militia guys or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, here yeah. uh, this this sort of reminds me of, of what I was playing at last Articon, um, where I had uh, elves with shields, Legolas, and then I had Ministerial supporting them. And I was also trying to like maximize number of bows per contingent, like per ally. So here, for example, you can just add a uh, a militia guy with a bow and spear without breaking your bow limit for that contingent. So if you were to, let's say, drop a couple of elves with bows and glaives, you'd be able to maximize the, the militia. You wouldn't be using both numbers. And then, and then you could try to like somehow also also maximize your bow numbers whilst removing the glaives. So there there is a way I think to optimize this better to this better where you have your front line of defense six elves. They are supported by lecton militia, and then you have your elves with bows supported by lecton militia with bows and spears. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's that's where that's where I'd be cutting all the glaives if I could. Yeah, I, and I guess remember we need to keep in mind that we need two points somewhere, so somebody's got to leave lose a bow or a glaive sure. or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I think the simplest thing would just be to drop a glaive off of someone. But yeah, I think the way if if we needed to maintain the two sentinels, which it seems like we do, um, what I would do is I would drop a lot of the glaives off the bowman, maybe all of the glaives off the bowman. Um, then I would turn some elves um, into Lake Town militias with uh, a spear or a bow and spear. Um, and then I would uh, slot in the crown. I think that's what I would do um, if I were to take this list. Yeah, I think I think if I were to do it, I would probably drop some bow glaive guys. Um and then I would probably drop some spears off the lake or change some spears off the Lake Town militia to shields. Okay, that I wouldn't do. Uh, well, I don't I want think... I don't want my Lake Town militia in the front at all. Oh no, me either. Yeah, well, I agree. Okay. I, I think I would probably do that with a couple guys, if for no other reason, because it's entirely possible this Lake Town militia 
Warband is going to be fighting on its own. Um, and it wants some guys in front with the, the higher, the higher armor. And I don't have a problem with like two guys with shields um, in front of uh, an elf with a bow and a glaive or, or something like that. Um, but I'd do some combination like that. Give, make this light town militia warband, give it the ability to fight on its own if it has to. Um, Cause right now it's, well, I mean, right now is me if it, ends up having to deploy on its own. And I mean, granted, if you give a couple guys shields, it's going to be slightly less meat, but at least it can form some sort of mini shield wall on its own. Yeah, cool. No, I think, Alrighty. Yeah, I think, I, I think, I think that's, that's about all we, all we can say. All we need to say, really. Uh, okay. So, um, the other thing uh, that we wanted to talk about here before we kind of get into the main event, if I can bring it up here, is we've got some upcoming terrain releases here. So Yay. let me pop this up on the screen. So a, oh, hang on a second, wrong screen. There we go. Uh, okay, so... Um, there's been an, a recent announcement from Games Workshop that they're coming out with some new Gondor terrain. We've got it up on the screen here. There are going to be three packages, um, one of which is, let's see here, one of which is the is an Asgiliath Ruins pack, which is going to be the modular ruins that show up in, the, that many of us have already received inside our new um, Battle for Asgiliath box set, uh, which, by the way, I've I've assembled and put together. They 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 paint up very quickly. Um, unlike the unlike the Dulgul door set, which seems like I, I've been I think I've been painting this Dulgul door set for most of my life now. I've actually got three pieces on the table, but um, these asgiliath ruins sets assembled and uh i painted them up very quickly and they look great so there's it looks like there's a package of those you get you get four sets in the box set i'm guessing just by looking at the picture here of the cover you're going to get two sets when they get sold separately but there's two other ones there's a gondor mansion and then a gondor tower um so this is the gondor mansion which is a two-story building with it looks like a removable roof um and i can't really tell um i'm trying to see if there's a oh i see so there's a uh, there's an open uh, first floor um that you can uh, so you can walk underneath this thing and they do say it's completely modular so you can mix these in with mix and batch these in with the ruins so you can have a partially ruined mansion. That is really um, cool. Yeah, that is that is really cool. And um, and you can mix ruined floors in there, and they have some conversion kits. I'm really looking forward to this. I, when these come out, I'm going to buy a bunch of these, and I'm going to be playing Legos with them um, and uh, uh, seeing what kind of fun stuff I can uh, create out of these things. So that's the mansion. And then equally cool are there's the those, those are the ruins up there on the screen um we've seen them before but those those like i said paint up really nicely and really quickly um and uh 
And then we also have the tower. Uh, and this is the big giant tower that you see being blown apart by a uh, catapult during the invasion of us Gilead uh, scene. And it, it's it's got the ruined top. And I believe that swaps out. So you can have the un you can have like the unruined top. And then at some point when you want to have it blown up, you can replace it with the uh the blown up top, which is which is really fun. I don't believe you can actually I don't believe each stage is removable. Um, so that I don't think you can kind of fight your way up this thing. Um, but uh even so. So there's a view of the kind of unblown up top versus blown up top. Mm-hmm. And that is pretty cool. Yeah, both of those both of those look great. And and, and by the way, uh, I was really surprised about how how nice these looked with just a quick painting job. I mean, it, it, if you look at the the Dolgal door set, there's there's a whole bunch of steps you need to go through in order to paint those. And that's part of the reason why it takes so long is you spend like hours on hours just you know, painting and weathering these kind of iron strappings that come on them. They look great when you're done, but you take forever. But these, um, I just took like an olive, olive, a tan olive base. Yeah, I spray painted them black, dry brushed them with a tan olive base, or actually kind of wet brushed them with a, a tan olive base, then dry brushed them with a terminatus stone um, dry brush. And then, you know, did did a few of the details on uh oh it, it did them with the dry brush and then just hit all the wood with um the the wildwood contrast paint you know did a few of the details on the doors and stuff like that and then just you know kind of dabbed on some of the new wash colors that they have which um they have some new kind of grime and um kind of a washed out green uh uh, wash color in the Citadel paint range. And, and I was done with these. So it, it literally, each one of these took like, I think maybe like less than 45 minutes to paint. Once I finally had them assembled, they're really quick. Um, and, uh, and they're great pieces. They look great when you're done, but looking forward to these. Something tells me that like, these are going to be very popular on tournament tables, especially in competitions where, people bring their own terrain to basically to, to donate to the tournament and then everybody shares the terrain and, and plays on different boards. Yeah. There's, been, there's, been, there's been some events I've, I've been to here where that happened. And yeah, if these are very popular for people to just, just own, they'll be all over, the, all over the tables on tournaments. Yeah. I mean, the only downside to these vis-a-vis the Dolgaldor terrain sets is that the Dolgaldor terrain sets are bigger. Hmm. Um, these at least, I mean, obviously I haven't seen these new kits. I don't know how big they are, but, um, the, the ruins kits up here, when you actually assemble them are about like six inches on a side, they're like six inch sides Mm -hmm. and the Dolgaldor terrain pieces are, I mean, they're big. Um, uh, they are, you know, once you fully assemble them, they're, you know, and kind of like put all the basing around them. They're kind of like, I mean, they don't, they, they, they're like a foot wide. Um, and I mean, it, it, it's roughly the same because you actually get two pieces of the, as the, of these in each kit, but once you assemble them, at least as directed, um, they kind of create smaller buildings, you know, which is fine. I think they probably end up each kit probably ends up being responsible for taking up the same amount of table space, but, um, 
the ind- the individual you're going to have a bunch more kind of smaller buildings um with these kits so just something to keep in mind when you're putting them together i mean these are these are like a massive upgrade compared to what we had in the return of the king box what in 2005 yeah yeah well, <laughs> it, 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 and, and i guess i guess that's another kind of minor downside i'm, I'm not i'm not sure it's really a downside but these are these are not as compatible looking with those priorist Gilead ruins as you would think they might be um, because the, the scale is different. The, the size of the windows and door openings and the floor sizes are different in that original, the, the original is Gilead ruins are kind of on a larger scale than these are. Mm. Um, and when you put them side by side, uh, even when you painted them in a similar fashion, they look somewhat off. Um, I think if you, you can get away with it, if you have, if you kind of put them in different parts of the table, I think if you have like your oldest Gilead ruins in one section, your newest Gilead ruins on another. Um, but if you put the two of these side by side, they, they, they don't, they don't look like the same kind of architectural scheme. So, all right, all right. Well, that's the that's the new stuff there. Um, okay, so should we talk top five models? Cool. Should we start with? All right. Should we start with uh, Reniers? Was it? Yeah, let's start with Reniers. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to pull up. Rob also sent his in, so I'm oh gonna yeah, nice. Pull up. I'm going to pull up his, and we can talk through his too. I'll, I'll be Rob. You be Rainier. Um, so why don't we start with Rainier, uh, Mick? So I think, so the way we did this before is um, we're going to go through, we're going to talk through the uh, the profiles and, you know, just, uh, you know, briefly kind of go through the statistics and um, what stuff you can put on them and uh, the, uh, the, the little goodies you can buy for them and how they get used on the table. And then we can chat through how we think, um, how valid we think uh, the recommendation is. And I think we're going to go from, so let's start at five and we'll go up to one. So what was Rainier's fifth choice? So Rainier's okay. fifth choice was Elendil, High King of Gondor and Arnor. So uh, if we were to go, if we were to say it the way Rainier is, no, uh, would normally say it, which... Um, which I'm not gonna even try because uh, I would I would butcher his accent. <laughs> um, so Elendil, he is a uh, quite an expensive character in the Last Alliance. He is, uh, I believe, 200 points once once he's with like his horse and shield, right? Yeah, I think he's yeah, he's 200 with horse and shield. Yeah, yeah, so so he starts on one 185. Um, he's very strong. He's got fight seven, uh, strength five, defense eight. If you give him a shield. Three attacks, three wounds, uh, courage six, I believe it was. Um, yeah. Three might, three will, one fate. Um, he has the permanent um, dual resistance to magic. So he uh, he rolls always two dice to resist, um, which is his biggest uh, benefit. Because um, he's generally very, very difficult for ring race to kill or pretty much for anybody to kill. And... Uh, Alongside his strength five, he's got his master master forge sword. So 
he will like he's kind of a really good killing machine where he can take out even big heroes on like a four plus. Um, so if yeah, even even if his uh, his opponents are defense seven, he takes them out down on fours. If they're defense uh, five, he takes them out on threes. Um, and additionally to that, he gets to call three heroic combats every turn. So yeah, he's just like a massive killing machine. If you if you play Numenor, you basically want to play him, unless um, unless unless you uh, you prefer his son uh, Isildur due, uh, due to the ring. But generally, uh, whenever Elendil appears on the table, he's just the main piece that needs to be taken out. Otherwise, he's just going to butcher butcher your whole army. That's uh, that's roughly that's roughly all there is about him, I think. Yeah, I mean the only the only real downside, Elendil, I think, comes with two downsides. One is his point cost, which is, he is large, expensive, um, which can make him kind of cost prohibitive in smaller games and the other is the fact that if you're taking a lendil it's very hard to ally in anybody else other mm -hmm. than elves who are also very expensive um so you know he, he he's not he's not a piece that can be dropped into any army most of the time if you're taking a lendil you're taking either a pure Numenor army which comes with drawbacks because it doesn't have a lot of pieces at least not yet until you know GW grabs the license for um, uh, Rings of Power, and you know, or you can ally in elves. And once you, you know, allying in elves means you're allying in even more expensive models beside your expensive Alendil model. So yeah, I mean, so like you said, there's there's two main drawbacks, but like really the biggest drawback is is the fact that he does have to lead the army of Numenor, which sadly is kind of it's just not that amazing by itself um yeah i mean he doesn't have to i mean evan i don't know if you want to chat about it but evan just took a, a list that a red alliance um, with Lendl i it. Ooh, red alliance Ooh. all i'm gonna say is uh is uh watch this space um there may oh. be a more they there may or may not be a more detailed explanation of my opinions on Elendil later on in this podcast. Red, red alliances okay. are banned at, at certain competitions. So, and, and those competitions are wrong and dumb <laughs> because there's no reason they should be banned. But anyway, I mean, no, I, I, moving on. I agree. I, I agree. There is, there is no reason they should be banned. All right. So why don't I why don't I talk through uh, Rob's submission here and. Uh, Rob's submission is Rutabi, General of the Dragon Legion. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rutabi is a woman, Easterling, infantry hero, and a healer, hero of valor. Um, she is in the new Defense of the North source book. Uh, she's, she's on foot, so she's move six. Fight six, strength four, defense seven. Three attacks, three wounds, courage five. Uh, three might, two will, two fate. Um, so she's she and she comes with heroic strike and heroic uh, challenge. So she's kind of a like a tier one and a half hero. She's not really a tier one hero like a Lendil, um, uh, but she's definitely more than kind of a tier a, a fight five tier two hero, um, which puts her in an interesting place on the list. 
And she comes with some special rules. She has unyielding combat stance. So if somebody charges her on horse and wins, there's a 50% chance she's going to pop right, right back up like a weeble and um, they're not doubling their strikes against you. Uh, and she also comes with a master battle three plus. So if she copies actions, um, her other people's heroic actions on a three plus, which is a great way to kind of bulk up the Easterlings might count artificially because they tend not to have that much, uh, might, um, and that ability to copy other people's might really kind of keeps them in the might game longer than you'd otherwise think. She also comes with a phalanx special rule. Uh, so she fits into the phalanx and she can back up with two folks with pikes behind her. And the show no mercy special rule, which means when she's making strikes against an enemy model that's trapped, she rerolls fail to wound rolls. So if you can get somebody trapped, get somebody either knocked down with um, uh, Borgir's uh, uh, tremor or just get people behind her, she can she can do a, a lot of damage um, uh, really quickly. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I'll. I'll, I'll I'll be putting Rutabi on on my list later, but and I'll I'll talk about the tactical aspects of Rutabi I think later um, when we talk about that. But she really does kind of transform the Easterling army in a way I think it needed to be transformed. So we've kind of laid out the stats, and like Evan said, I think we're going to put a pin in Rutabi and come back and um, discuss her later. So. Uh, Evan, what's your nomination for number five? All right, number five is also an Easterling hero, um, but it is one that is more expensive and I think more controversial as well, and that is the Dragon Emperor. Um, and knowing the other people on this podcast, um, well, I, I will discuss the Emperor in depth, and then perhaps we will hold off on people's opinions of it um to a later time um so the dragon emperor just quickly going over their stats um they're basically just a a classic um uh, a classic uh high tier hero so they've got fight six strength four defense seven three attacks three wounds courage six three might three will three fate but obviously this isn't the main draw of the dragon emperor um the real draw is the uh palanquin um which is a 12 inch banner, which means that it counts as a banner, um, which is obviously huge. A 12 inch banner is massive as shown by both Bard and Immerhill. Um, and it also gives plus one fight value to your Easterlings within six inches, which is extremely good because it brings your Easterlings from fight four, which is all right, to fight five, which is extremely strong, especially when you have a phalanx with uh three three attacks uh per per set of uh, of models and a banner on top of that meaning that you're winning most fights uh with your phalanx um among other things he has he's also got an elven made uh sword um he's got resistant to magic which is super super good um it means that uh it's much less easy for uh for magic users to uh to take him down to transfix him bring him into a vulnerable position um and on top of that uh he's also got an unlimited range standfast 
and it all it affects Easterling hero models. So basically, if you break and uh, he is still on the board and he's able to move, um, your entire army is uh, staying alive. Um, and all of these things he gets um, for 170 points, which is a bargain basement, I would say. Um, and he's also not bad in combat at all. Um, obviously, he's not mounted, so he doesn't get the knockdown, but he gets the six additional attacks from his uh, from his warriors holding the palaquin, which, in my opinion, makes absolutely no sense because how are they attacking when they're also holding up a big frame? But uh, they get they it. They have so. another hand. Yeah, sure. So yeah, that's that's my that's my reasoning for the dragon emperor. Um, because of his lack of maneuverability and his large base size, I didn't want to put him any higher than number five, but just because of the huge bonuses he provides to his list um, and just how cheap he is, I, I, couldn't, um, I couldn't not put him on my list. Yeah, the Dragon Emperor is on my list too, so I'm going to wait to, to talk a little bit more about him. So we He's get not on my list. He's not on mixed list, no. um, but uh, yeah, I, I, the the one word I would use to describe the Dragon Emperor at this stage before we kind of talk more later is transformative, um, and I think that's really what he is for the Easterlings. Cool, um, right, Mick. You want to do your your own nomination sure. here? Let's do it uh, on my number five. I've actually put Shagrat, the war leader. So I, uh, the reason for that is that I've been playing with him uh, on multiple events now uh, in the UK. And he is just one of those things where no one really plays Shagrat very much, um, but he's just very solid overall. So he comes with, um, he costs 115 points when fully kitted out, and you should always get him out. Uh, he is fight five, strength five, defense seven with his shield. Three attacks, three wounds, uh, courage four, which is his major downside. Uh, three points of might, three points of will, and three points of fate, which is quite rare for these somewhat minor heroes in a sense. And additionally, when he charges, he gets the knockdown bonus as if he was cavalry against any foot, foot enemies. And he's got the uh, Blood and Glory special rule, which uh, allows him to regain might points whenever he kills a hero. And he gets to also uh, call heroic challenges against more enemies than anyone else in the game because he is a hero of fortitude. And despite that, I still haven't used it. I was going to say, and that more the increased number of challenges is equal to zero. Yes, it is. Um, it's a, he gets the opportunity to call all these extra challenges so that he never will call a single challenge in his life ever. Yeah. <laughs> Although I did think of one of one instance where I would actually do a heroic challenge, but I, but, but I haven't been in the situation to do it yet. So I'm going to leave what, that. What, what, what is what, that instance that out of curiosity or have you already forgotten? No, the, the instance was that if my opponent had some someone like, like Saruman the White or, or, or one of the other Sarumans, who was the army general, 
challenging that guy means you uh, if he decides not to accept he loses his stand fast and that's his and that's the main reason why he's in the army but right. other, other than Saruman White, I don't think I would ever challenge any other hero in the entire game. And what about Galadriel? Uh, which one? I don't know. Uh, I mean, oh, she can I was, just deny well, it. Well, yeah, she can deny it. I mean, it. what that does is it, it I mean, it prevents her, um, it prevents her heroic people, other people from benefiting from her heroics, doesn't it? Am I remembering that correctly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it does, but I don't, yeah, but I don't it's, know how it's, worth it does. It's a bit of a waste of a point of might. Because 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 Galadriel, like if you if you if you're beating her in combat, like you want to call a heroic strike because she's fight six. So you want to ensure that you win that combat. And then when you when you knock her over with strength five and against defense three, even with the rerolls on fate, you should be able to kill her. Whilst against someone like Saruman, you might not. So yeah, I, I actually, I actually am not certain of that, especially if she's got the. That, I mean, that's one of the problems with Galadriel is, um, unless you unless you were really well the first time, if she's got the mirror nearby, she keeps on popping back up. Um, but yeah, maybe I don't know. Just yeah, but I mean, like causing 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 six wounds on threes isn't isn't that hard? Especially, I suppose that's true. Yeah. So yeah, so Shagrat in general, he's kind of, kind of relatively cheap for what he brings to the table because um, he happens to be pretty much the same the same hero as like the Imrahils dismounted, or uh, he's been in so many combats for me where I just put him in there and I just thought, well, either my opponent calls a heroic move and charges Shagrat with something. Or if Shagrat goes goes first, he will probably kill something. And if it's my my opponent's big hero, then if I win a strike off, chances are the hero's dead. So very yeah. often, very often it's just one of those situations where he's just there and he's a threat. But if if he dies, it doesn't matter to me. And yeah, he's just very good value generally. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Um, so why don't we go to my personal choice for number five, which was the Lake I, Town. I was just gonna just going to butt in here um, and just say um, sort of provide a counterpoint um, to why I don't think Shagrat should make a list like this. And I think it's going to be a a counterpoint that I'm going to be using a lot in this episode, um, which is that there are a lot of models like Shagrat um, in the sense that they are very, very good for their points. and they uh, fulfill a lot of different roles. But because there's a lot of them in my list, I found it very difficult to put models like that on my list. So I I really focused on models that either for their points or just for the abilities they have are just really stupid um, and that are just like absolutely insane and can accomplish... Um, way more than any model should be accomplishing um, or just are extremely cheap for what they do. Um, and that's why I think models like um, like Shagrat, also like Rutabi as well, I think don't necessarily fit on a list like this. Wait, 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 wait. Just because there are so many. 
What, what's up, Mick? <laughs> I'm just saying, wait, wait, wait. You're, 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 are you criticizing a subjective list of, of which we, which we basically like just because we like the model? <laughs> I don't think that. I don't think that was in our. Uh, I don't think that's what the what the goal was, though. What what were we supposed to be? Wasn't it supposed to just be like objective, like what we think are the strongest models? No, it was no. just supposed to be the top five models. I mean, yeah. you can define it however you like. Um, exactly. You know, I, don't, I don't think your way to define it is wrong, but I, I don't think the, um, you know, I, I, I don't think there was any, there was any criteria saying that these were supposed to be objectively the strongest models. It's just, it was our, going to be our, our favorite top five models. For, I mean, for whatever yeah. reason. <laughs> Yeah, because, um, because well, that doesn't change that doesn't change the fact that uh that I disagree with those placements. That's all I'm saying. That's all fine. Right. That's fine. You can have your own placements, and we can, can all I, have our own placements. Can I talk about the Lake Town Guard now? Do it. Oh my God, right. he's just so broken. Yeah. Um. So this this was my this was my fifth choice, which was the Lake Town Guard. Um. He's you know a standard infantry model. Move six, fight three, strength three, defense four. One attack, one wound, courage two, comes with armor and a sword. You can buy him a bow. You can buy him a spear. So you're saying, why is this guy so special? The reason is he's five points. Um, and he's five points, and he exists in an army where he can get he can get buffed up to fight four with a banner um, from the master. Uh, and, you know, when you – the reason this guy's in my list is I was thinking back on this – and he was in, I think, just a, just about every, cer certainly more than two thirds of the lists of the good lists that both Evan and I created over the course of the past year. And I think just given that utility um, of being able to take a whole bunch of cheap guys, put them in a good list, bolt on heroes of your choice with the you know remaining 500 models and still have a decently sized army uh you know i'm not sure there's there's anybody that quite quite compares to that that utility i mean he's the he, he he's kind of like the building block of a lot of good lists these days and that's why i had to put him at five well he is probably the the best infantry in the game the more like the most op op optimal the most cost-effective infantry thing in the game. I would disagree with that, but we will discuss that later on in my list as well. So, okay. I, I mean, I, I'm not certain he's kind of the best infantry. Well, depends how you define best. He certainly fills in a hole on the good side of 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 good cheap bulk, right? Um, there's, there really isn't anybody who kind of comes close to him for good, cheap bulk. He's the, you know, he's, he's the good sides goblin equivalent. And the only other, the only other guy on the good side that kind of fits that bill are hobbits and hobbits have, hobbits have, you know, hobbits are overpriced and slow. Um, so you can't really use them in that role. So. All right, Evan. What's your what's your top five pick? Or actually, have we we've done your top five? To, pick. So we need to, to we need to Rainier. Yeah, yeah, go to Rainier. Who's number four from Rainier? 
Uh, let me quickly see. Uh, where are we going to get to Rob? Oh no, Rainier first. Yeah. Uh, Rainier's number four. Well, this one, this one's like super broken. Mm -hmm. This one should definitely be on this list. Let's see. Can this chieftain in a chariot? So uh, I believe I know why Rainier picked Good him. Good luck with this one, Mick. <laughs> Because <laughs> Rainier loves um, Candace Chieftains and Chariots. And, well, there's there's nothing wrong with them, in my opinion. What are the stats? What are the stats? Okay, so it is... Uh, actually, oh yeah, this is Candace Chieftain, not Candace King in a Chariot, too. Right. Uh, so the Chieftain... Oh, I don't have my rule book on me, but uh, as far as I remember... He who, is, who could have thought is, you might need that? He is 5'5". Five, five. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's fight five, strength four, defense five, I'm guessing here. Uh, two attacks, two wounds, courage four, I'm pretty sure, with two points of might, one or two will, pro probably one will. One will, one will. And you were, you one, were doing fate. great up to that point and one yep. fate. Right. One fate, yeah. And yeah, he comes in chariot. Uh, his heroic actions are heroic march. That's that's about it because he's a, he's a captain. Um, but the, the major thing here is that as a chieftain, oh no, sorry, he he did keep, pick a chieftain. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, as a chieftain, he is fight five, which which normally uh, captain level heroes are not fight five. So that is one actually one big thing where uh, when you're playing as many players, they might not realize that he's fight five and accidentally make uh, make a mistake, which will cost them their game. Because normally people expect um, someone like the Kanish King to be only fight five, uh, but then it turns out the Kanish uh, Chieftain actually comes over, smashes you with his fight five and a chariot, and and wins the game. Um, obviously, the chariot is very really good when it rolls well. Uh, uh, when when it rolls well, um, not so good when it doesn't. So yeah, it all depends on your playstyle. Obviously, Rainier is really good, like with the, with these sort of um, chariot heavy. Um, armies of evil men he loves evil men uh but i don't really have any well very much experience of chariots i think i do own a couple of chariots but i may have used them like once so i think that that's gonna be it for my review of a chariot with a kind of chieftain on him yeah i mean i've got chariots too i've used them a few times i've always been disappointed by them i don't think i've ever used them kind of on mass as rainier does and i don't claim to have the skill with them that rainier has so um i guess i'm i'm slightly skeptical of that especially kind of vis-a-vis -vis the the Kondish king because you know the ability to strike up on a base that's that big is kind of important but mm -hmm. you know i'm sure he has his reasons I mean, I mean the fight. The, the fight five is always, always a surprise there. Isn't the isn't the king fight six though, or did no? They he's fight, he's fight also five. He's, fight also, five. he's yeah. also fight five. Yeah. He's like a six inch banner though, right, or something he ridiculous is. like that. Yeah, he has a six yeah. inch banner for I mean, other stuff. I, I don't more. know if he like has has the king higher on this list or something. He's, but honestly, I would I would rate the king better than the chieftain yeah he's actually 40 points more so um he he is a lot better but you pay a lot more for him so mm -hmm. i mean i i kind of i i understand the kind of the cheap utility of the condish chieftain but even when you put him on the chariot he's still 85 points um and 85 points for a guy that can't strike up can be a, a bit pricey but you know 
King's also three attacks. He has three oh, attacks. He's good. Yeah, I know that. I mean, the, the king is good. Um, and he's got March too. He does. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, d- I don't really agree with this placement um, just because I don't really rate chariots that much. Um, they feel very exploitable to me. But uh, obviously, this is Rainier's list, um, and uh, he knows how to play these guys. Uh, I don't. So that's basically all I have to say. Yes, and it's he's a not subjective here to defend list. It, so. It's a subjective yep. list. It's subjective. So. <laughs> it doesn't mean that subjectivity, that doesn't mean it can't be criticized. You can't. That's true. That's true. You just yeah. say like, oh, I'm being subjective about my opinion. So you can't criticize me. I'm just saying I don't understand it personally. Man. Yeah. That's all I'm sure. saying. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I fully, I mean, fully appreciate it. Rainier can be subjectively wrong. There's, there's nothing. Sure. There's nothing improper about that. <laughs> um, okay. So let's go to Rob. Uh, so Rob's choice for number four was Theodrid, heir of Rohan. Oh, I love uh, this guy. A bold choice. Um, so Theodrid is 80 points. He's fight five, strength four, defense six. He has three attacks, two wounds, courage five, three might, three will, one fate. Comes with his heavy armor and sword. He has heroic strike and, of course, heroic challenge. Um, you can buy him with a horse shield and throwing spears. He's got the usual expert rider and horse lord, and he has the reckless charge. Uh, he must charge an enemy model if he's able to do so, which can be problematic at times. And additionally, on a turn in which he charges, he can re-roll any fell to wound rolls during the fight phase. Um, Evan, maybe you can talk about Theodred. I mean, I, I have to say, I think I can, I, I'm not certain I've ever played him. And I think the number of times that I played against him, I can count on the fingers of, of one hand. So I know you've, you've played with him a lot more recently. So maybe yeah. you can talk about him a little more. I played with him on Articon yeah, as well. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, both both me yeah. and I have, have played a lot of him. Um, but I mean, the thing about Theodred is that he's 80 points. So he's similar points to something like a Huron or a Forlong or something like that. And he's just kind of better. Like, honestly. Not just kind um, of. He's like way better. Big, well, yes, he's way better. I, I was being subtle, but yes, he's way better um, because he's A, got three attacks, which they don't have. Um, B, he's got three will points, which is very good against uh, casters where the other uh, the other heroes only have one will point. Um, and he's also got horse lords. So if he takes a wound on his horse, he can use his fate point to prevent that. Um, and he's also got reckless charge which sure means that he has to charge, but it also means that um, he re-rolls any failed to wound rolls during the fight phase. So he's basically just an extremely cheap nuke. Um, he's a mini and spider queen. In my opinion, sure, we'll go with that. Um, with no broodlings yeah, and six fewer legs. He's a mini spider queen in that he goes in, he wrecks stuff, he then dies, but by then you don't care. I mean, I've never had him die before. So for me, he just runs in and wrecks stuff. Every every um, time dies for me. Clearly, we're playing a different Theodrid. Mine is uh mine is much more self-preserving, I guess. Um, um but uh I guess the, the weakness that a lot of people identify with him is that he has to charge. But I mean, honestly, I've never had that be a problem for me anyways. Like 
The only time I would really see it being an issue is if he's trying to capture an objective, because otherwise you can just like make a wall of guys in front of him so he can't charge and then sort of move the guys out of the way and let him loose. Um, so honestly, I can I can see why he um, why he'd make a list, not personally on my list, um, but he's definitely a very good model. I have to say. There's been one instance so far in like 20 games where him having to charge was was it was a bad thing, and that was in Clash by Moonlight, when he unfortunately had to charge my opponent's Immerhill, and if he if he were to die, I would lose the game, but he didn't. I think he wounded Immerhill in the end, so <laughs> so it was all yeah. fine in the end. But yeah, that was that was, that was like the only time where I was like, oh, actually. If he if he charges and dies, I'm actually losing this game. But there's yeah. nothing I can do to stop him. But in every in every other instance, the fact that he died a lot of the time was irrelevant because he'd caused enough damage by then. Yeah, I, I think the one time I played him, I think I had I had a couple of ring wraiths and like was able to compel the the two people that were um I can't remember. I can't remember what happened, but some somehow I was use, able to use the ring race to get him into a position where he like couldn't block himself in. I think he was he was kind of off on his own with a couple guys that could hold him back. And um, uh, once you know, once I froze a couple of them in place, um, then he he had to charge something really big and died. But I think it was maybe like I think it may have been like my Witch King on Fell Beast or something like that. But um, uh, but that was, I think that was an edge case. Yeah, he he requires very precise play, which is uh, which is part of what kept him off of my list. Um, because if you mess up with him, he's basically just dead. Um, and then <clears throat> at that point, um, you know that's that's ninety points down the drain. Um, but if you if you play him well. Um, then he can really get a lot of bang for your buck. Yep. All right, Ev, what's your uh, what's your number four? Well, my number four is uh, is Bird Jesus himself, Gua here. Um, Bird and Jesus. so going over his profile, uh, we've got uh, fight eight, uh, which is obviously huge. Um, strength six, defense eight. So he's got tons of good stats. Uh, the main weakness that a lot of people see in him, which is the fact that he does have uh, only two attacks, um, but three wounds, uh, courage six, and three might, three will, three fates. And then, of course, the important things are his heroics and special rules. He's got both heroic strike and heroic defense, um, which are obviously great abilities. He's also got heroic strength, if you ever feel like doing that. Um, he's also got fly which is huge. Um, being able to move 12 inches and move over all models is a game-defining ability. He's got monstrous charge, which basically defines whether or not a monster is viable or not. Um, and him having that is extremely important. Uh, Terror is nice. Um, and he's also got Lord of the Eagles, which is sort of like his, his negative special rule almost, um, which is that only eagle and wizard models that for some reason uh, may benefit from Guahir's stand fast or benefit from his heroic actions. I guess the thought process behind that is like Gandalf can understand him. So uh, Gandalf can benefit. 
though. I'm not well, sure. Well, and Radagast can fly eagles around. Yeah, so. Radagast can, but Saruman, I don't really understand. I don't think he'd really care. Um, but anyways, moving on from that. Uh, so the one issue he does have is that he can be somewhat unreliable due to his low number of attacks. So that's two attacks plus one on the charge. So only three attacks. But other than that, he's just he's just honestly perfect. Um, fight eight is amazing. No one is ever out fighting him except for like Gilgalad and Sauron and the Balrog, which I mean, if you're having him fight those guys, I'm I'm not sure that's the correct decision anyways. Um, he's almost impossible to kill uh, because of his defense eight and three wounds, three fate and heroic defense. Um, and just the ability to have a flying monster model with monstrous charge at a bargain basement price of 150 points, coupled with the fact that he is three might points, um, just makes him, in my opinion, um, one of the one of the strongest monsters also coming out to an extremely cheap price that uh, makes him hard to resist, um, even though he can't lead any troops. Um, just taking him in an army will never make that army bad. Like, no matter what you ally him into, um, he's going to add value to that army. All right. Yeah, Fair I point. Agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think any of us would disagree with including Guai here on this like this. So, even though he's not on mine. Uh, so, Mick, what's your, uh, what's your number four? My number four. Are we supposed to go to Rob's? Uh, no, we did, Rob. Uh, I think oh. we did. Rob's, oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, oh, sorry, sorry. That yeah. was Theodred. Well, yeah. my number four was the was since since he had the little spider queen, I have the big spider queen. So the big spider queen is the spider queen, hundred and fifteen points, same as Shagrat actually. Uh, she comes with fight six, strength six, defense four, uh, two attacks, three wounds, and courage four, uh, three might points in this edition which is quite new, which makes her quite powerful. And she also has three points of will and no fate. So the points of will very often get used for her special broodling ability, where um, during her move, she can use points of will to deploy broodlings, which are these little tiny spiders that uh, for some reason these days move 10 inches as well. So uh Real, little tiny fast spiders yeah that's one of the things that's that has caught me off guard when when the, when the new edition came through because for over a decade previously they were moving only six inches and then suddenly <laughs> um so she's really good at getting the little spiders out and either grabbing objectives jumping somewhere behind enemy lines or just running off the table and scoring you points for no particular downside uh she when she uh when she charges she pounces so she gets them she gets the monster's charge so knocks things over and most importantly she rerolls all of her strikes to wound so with strength six and a heroic strike um and rerolls she gets to roll six dice and reroll everything which means most enemies tend to die when she wins combat uh also as a spider she goes through difficult terrain at full speed. So that's great. Um, yeah, there's basically like very few downsides to, to, uh, to Spider Queen. 
she comes with heroic defense, so her defense four isn't that big of an issue now as it used to be in the past. But obviously, if you haven't done your heroic defense and you fluff your dice, you may just randomly die to like whatever. So there is that. So overall, she's just like a very solid offensive choice, especially if you're able to bring her with with a with, with a big army, but like with a with a swarm of some of some sorts. Um, because then it, it, even if you lose her, it's not that big of a deal, but she's just so, so strong at running into something, killing it, run, running into something else, killing it. And sometimes it's just game-breaking, game-winning sort of situation. Yeah. I mean, the only downside that comes with it, I think, is her vulnerability to shooting because, you know, you can't call heroic defense against shots. And That's true. If you If you leave her in a spot where she can get shot, she'll die. I mean, leg loss is, is kind of a major downside because throughout the game, he can just snipe. Because yeah. against, against any other shooting, it's okay most of the time because oh, you might... She you does might... also get hit by a rock and die instantly. Yeah, that's true. Or by a ballista. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, or or a volley of crossbows, right? I mean, you've... I've done this to her a couple times with, with like something like Corsairs or something like that, where even if you put like two ranks of things in front of her... Um, you know, and if enough shots get through, she'll die. So there's a reason why I almost always take her with the Shadow Lord, and that's because she's extremely weak to basically any form of shooting. Um, another another weakness of hers, I'll point out, um, is that she is quite vulnerable to magic because unlike many other heroes, her will points come with a trade-off because you're supposed to use them to make broodlings. So when you cast spells on her. Um, she resists with her will points, and that means she doesn't have her broodlings anymore. Um, so that makes her quite vulnerable to magic. All that being said, however, I think I would put her at number six on my list um, if there were to be a number six. I knew um, she wasn't going to make your list, Evan. S something told me. Don't, you don't have to phrase it like that, <laughs> Nick. Um But yeah, I I do I do love her a lot. Um, Spider Girl's great. Um, and she's she's got a ton of great things so uh yeah yep so uh all right so my number four uh my number four is is the easterling cataphract surprisingly enough and a specific easterling cataphract and that's this the easterling cataphract with the 15 point war drum um so i don't think we need to dwell very much on the stats i mean it's a it's a cavalry so move 10 fight three Strength three, defense six, one attack, one wound, courage three. So kind of a kind of a blah-ish uh, cavalry figure. If you get him within six inch, get him within six inches of the dragon emperor, it goes up to fight four, and you can buy a black dragon upgrade for two points, which you almost always do, and that would get him up to fight four, fight five within six inches of the dragon emperor, um, and then um, becomes kind of a more of a cavalry figure to be reckoned with, but. The real reason you take the Easterling Cataphract is the 15-point drop, which um, is a huge tactical boon to the entire Easterling army um, and any army that you have an Easterling contingent in because you can start moving nine inches a turn with uh, your your foot. And if you have you know, cavalry, you can be zoom around to 15 inches a turn. And it gives the Easterlings ability to kind of to, to, to jink and take their phalanx and put it someplace where the other 
folks weren't expecting it within the course of one turn. And that's a big tactical option. Um, you know, we, we, we're, we're having different philosophies as to why we're picking stuff to put on the, uh, on the list. Um, I was going primarily off of which are the models that I ended up like taking the most during the course of the last year. And every time you take, I I've been playing the Easterlings a lot because I think with the new, um, the new buffs, they're great and they're fun to play with. And literally every time you take an Easterling army, you take an Easterling cataphract. It's it's literally the first model that you choose in every army. I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone um, build an Easterling army or even insert an Easterling contingent without a uh, Easterling cataphract. And that's why he's there. Yeah, it's a very solid choice. So, all right. So I think we're, we now go back to uh, Rainier's number three. We do. And Rainier's number three is Amdur, the Lord of Blades. Right. The Lord so, of Special Rules. Yes. yes. Um, now then, where's my rule book? Um, he is fight value six, strength four, defense six, I believe, right? Yep. Uh, he comes with three attacks, three wounds, courage six. It's actually um, courage five. Oh, sorry, sorry about that. Yeah, courage five. Um, with might will fate of three three three, right? No, three three actually, one. Three three one. Three three one, that's right. So mm -hmm. he used to be the main hero of the Easterlings alongside um Camul, but he is no longer after Rutabi and the Great Dragon Emperor and all that stuff. So his uh, he can come on a, um, mounted on a, an armored horse, which helps him. Uh, his special rules include he also has blood and glory, just like just like Shagrad. So if he if he kills an enemy hero in combat, he regains points of might. Um, he has a heroic strike. He is also a banner, or he he. So why don't I? I've got the rules in front of me. Why don't yeah, I go through the sure. special rules because sure. there's they are legion. <laughs> there's um, a lot of them. Uh, so I guess the first thing is we we shouldn't forget he comes with an elven made hand and a half sword. So yes. he actually has an elven blade, which is useful when tied fight values come up, which because of some mechanics are happen more often for him than for others. Um, he has blood and glory, so he regains might by killing heroes. He has unyielding combat stance, so if he is on foot, he can pop back up again. Uh, he has the phalanx special rule, so he can fight in the midst of a phalanx. It's the gleaming horde special rule, which is basically shield wall for cataphracts. So if he's in a group of cataphracts, as he often is, uh, and they're touching base to base, they get plus one defense. Um, so that can get him up to defense seven. Uh, he has Herald of Victory, um, which so uh, Easterling models treat him as a banner. If he kills the enemy leader in combat, which you know happens kind of rarely, the banner increases to six inches. Then uh, his premier special rule is Lord of Blades, which is whenever an enemy model in combat with Amdor declares a heroic strike, he can immediately declare the same thing for free. And if he's already declared a heroic action, he can change it to a strike, which is which is interesting. So what this basically means is he can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with another fight six hero, and the other fight six hero 
is in a dilemma because if he calls a strike, Amder just copies it. So you haven't really gained anything. If you don't call the strike, it's a fight six to fight six roll off and Amdor has got an elephant blade and maybe your fight six hero doesn't. Um, so that's a dilemma. And of course, if he gets into a, into a combat with somebody who's fight five or below and they call the strike, uh, he can just copy it for free and have an edge in uh, getting the fight value. So that's, you know, as long as he's not fighting somebody who's fight value seven, um, he's a pretty good hero killer. Yeah, I think what I find about Amdur is that it's a bit of a shame that Rutabi exists, in my opinion, because because Rutabi is just more efficient at everything. And I, and I thought it would have been really cool to see more Amdurs in all those lists with the Dragon Emperor and stuff like that, because he's just like a really cool hero in general. There's a lot of options with him, with all of his special rules, and uh, he comes out. Uh, he comes out at 145 points, as far as I remember, uh, when yep. he's when, when he's mounted. Right. So, so he's actually like not that expensive. Like if you if you if you compare him to, to the likes of Imrahil, like he can he can uh, hold his own against against that sort of stuff, and he's really good at just chopping down uh, warriors. So. Yeah, I kind of wish that there were more people using him, but it looks like Rutabi has kind of taken over the second in command sort of spot for all of the Dragon Dragon Emperor lists. Yeah. So I mean, so that's the downside of Amder is if you're taking Amder, you're not taking the Legion. It's really tough to fit both Amder and Rutabi mm-hmm. in the list. It's also there's a whole bunch of benefits that come with the dragon emperor that we'll talk about in a bit that that key off of the legion and amder's not in the legion yeah um so there's amder is 130 points but he comes with something on the order of a 36 point penalty for not taking the legion mm-hmm. um which makes his opportunity the opportunity cost of putting him in a list really high um, and he's a good model, but, you know, if you're, w- what he has become, I guess, is a good way to ally Easterlings into a list, which is, I think, what Rainier uses him for. Mm-hmm. Um, he uses him for, like, an Easterling ally into a conned list. And I think he's still good at that because he's he's a powerful model. He's at a point cost. He's a hero of valor, so he can ally in. Is it a point cost where you can get him and a bunch of other guys um, added into a list? Um, but I think in terms of a pure Easterling list, he, like I said, he's the opportunity cost of bringing him is too high at this point. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it, it's just one of those things where he costs also the same amount of points as someone like Gothmog. Yeah, and if if you compare them, like if I was allying someone in, and I needed certain special rules or certain troops, I probably would be swaying towards allying Gothmog with some orcs or more orcs rather than Amdur with some Easterlings. But yep. yeah, that's that's more of a personal choice, I guess. Yeah. All right, should we go to yeah, Rob's number I mean, three choice? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I, I'll, yeah, just, I'll just say my piece here. Um, I, I, I agree with a lot with what you guys said. Um, and it, it sort of feels like we're, we're poo-pooing Rainier a lot here. 
Um, but I do feel but he's that, not here like, to defend are, himself. So who cares? Yes. So we, we can hurt him as much as we want. Um, but it, it does feel to me like there are a lot of heroes, sort of what Mick said with Gothmog, um, that are similar points values that just offer more just A to on, their army yeah. list and B in general, like something like an Imrahil, I'd say, who's, I think like 15 points more. Um, he's 160 and he's got the 12 inch banner. He's got a Lance, which is super huge, um, because Omdur sometimes has killing power problems, um, due to his strength four. um, models like that, that I feel like just, just sort of eclipse him, um, in what they're able to accomplish for the points they are. Yeah. Or like the Dragon Emperor, which after, after you've taken all of your Easterlings essentially ends up being the same points as, as Amdur. Okay, so let's go to uh, Rainier, or I'm sorry, Rob's number three choice, which is the Knight of Dale. The Knight of Dale is 11 points. Um, he is fight four, strength three, defense six, one attack, one wound, courage four, heavy armor, spear, sword, and shield. Uh, and he comes with the Wall of Blades special rule, which gives him a, a plus one to wound when making strikes with a spear against the model that charged them this turn. So this is the kind of the, the shield wall uh, hoplite phalanx addition to the army of Dale, where you have your line of these guys in front with leveled spears, some guys with spears and bows behind and you wait for the enemy to charge you and you take your plus one to wound. Um, yeah, this is a, this is a decent model. I've got some of these on my painting. table. We have a bunch. I've got some more on my painting table right now. Um, they're good to use and, you know, Rob has always been a fan of Dale and I understand why he puts these in here. Um, you know, getting a Dale army, I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to get a, a Dale army to really be at a competitive level. I mean, they're, their legion is their their legion is good and has some good benefits. The problem comes with even with the new leaders that they have, they they lack kind of a certain punch because they're you know they're they have some good special rules, but they're fight five, they're not mounted. Um, and uh you've got a bunch of expensive guys around them, so the size of the army isn't huge. Um I mean, I think they're a good army. I'm not certain that they're a great army. And, you know, the only reason I would kind of question this pick is I'm not sure how much utility these guys have outside of the Dale army, which is uh, I'm uncertain about. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think Dale definitely suffers from a problem of their heroes just being not good. Um and just not not being able to provide what those sorts of heroes need to provide, which mainly comes down to hitting power. But also, uh, other than um, other than the legendary legion bonus of auto pass courage uh, for everyone, the heroes don't really provide any like troop boosting effects either, which is something you generally want out of those sorts of heroes. You want either hitting power or the ability to buff the rest of the army in some way. And because they provide neither of those things, it sort of makes it difficult for Dale to function. Um, I mean, I, I like the the Dale Warriors. I think they're pretty solid. But um, yeah, especially with, with the fact that A, they're in the Dale army. Um, 
and B, uh, there's nothing that I really find um, too exceptional about them. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not sure about them, but Rob plays a lot of Dale um, and he seems to think they're very good. So that's that. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, pers I personally never really had problems with Dale. But, well, playing against Dale. So right. no other comments. Fair enough. Evan, what's your number three? My number three, the classic choice that I'm sure you guys all expected, Arnold Warriors. Right. So yeah, I, I picked a very different warrior model. Um, and I was actually uh, debating between taking these guys and taking what dad put it as, as his number five, which is the Lake Town Guard. Um, and I ended up picking these guys. The main reason is that just point for point in general, these are the best warriors in the entire game. Um, they're eight points, which is extraordinarily cheap. Um, and they've for those points, they get both a spear and a shield. So if you take those away, technically, they're six points, but obviously they do have to come with both the spear and the shield. And for that, they've just got insane stats. They've got fight four, strength three, which is fine, defense six, which is huge. Um, and they even added on Hatred Angmar to them for whatever reason, uh, just as sort of like a free special rule, which is nice. Their main weakness is their low courage, but whenever you take these guys, you're either going to A, take them with Kyrdan, or B, take them as a pure army, um, which uh, which allows for Arvadui to have a six-inch auto-pass courage bubble anyways, so that's not even a weakness. Um and these, the lists that you're going to take them in are either going to be pure iron or at lower points, which has actually been proven to do quite well. Um, multiple people have won tournaments or podiumed in tournaments of lower points values with pure iron or, or at higher points, they make a very good ally in with uh, either Rivendell or uh, either or one of the other lists. Um, you can even take impossible allies with them. You can take something like a Saruman and they still function fine. Um, but just the, the sheer, the sheer magnitude of how cheap these guys are for everything they bring, they bring, um, it's just, just makes them in my opinion, superior to any other troop option in the game. And if you were to see them in something like a Gondor list or something like that, oh God, you'd see them absolutely everywhere. The only restriction they have is their Alliance matrix. And even that gives them some very good options. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I I have I've been toying with some Arnor lists recently and you know, obviously it's the 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 who do I ally in um issue, but uh um yeah, I otherwise full agree. Yeah, they're good. They're good. They're so solid. All right, so um, uh, Mick, what's your number three? My number three was also a warrior. For me, it's the Goblin Prowler. So mm. this is a choice uh, mainly because of the new Legendary Legion, which wasn't around when, when we were recording this last time a year or two years ago. So the Goblin Prowler is um are seven points a piece 
and they come with fight three, strength three, defense four, one attack, one wound, courage two. They also suffer a minus one penalty to winning combats because they only come with a two-handed uh, axe and they have throwing daggers. So just uh, just like goblins, they, they get the benefit for their jumping and climbing. And they also have the special rule where if they trap somebody, they, uh, they get plus one to wound. So alongside their uh, army bonus, well, the, the legendary legion bonus for the Assault on Lothorian and their special rule and their axe, they're able to get plus three to wound when they win combat. So that can be very, very strong, especially since their um, weapon of choice is an axe, so they can go into strength four with piercing strikes. So it is possible to actually kill somebody on a, on a two plus or, or even a one plus once they win. So with that in mind, oh, there's some there's some music playing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> so with that in mind and the special uh, Legendary Legion bonus, which um, makes them fight at night all the time, uh, they're ba basically they've become the sort of staple model for the army, for the Legendary Legion because you get to walk around, throw your daggers with plus one to wounds, and then you get to charge with them. So I really like them primarily because when they don't do well, they, they die really quickly. When they do well, they're just very good. So I find that in a sense, they're kind of like one of those YOLO type models where you either do really well with them or your whole army just falls to pieces. And so I just, I just think it's a it's it's kind of a more entertaining, more fun way to play, because you may just randomly die if like your one turn of combat goes badly. <laughs> and yeah, so, <laughs> I mean that that's interesting because I contemplated putting them on there, but actually kept them off because of that problem that they they do tend to, you know, they, when they win fights they do great and they kill stuff. When they lose fights they die like flies. Um, yeah, which is okay because they're cheap and you can kind of like you can have as many as flies as you want in the in the army but uh um they do if they run into somebody that's strength four they do in particular they 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 die very quickly <laughs> i mean they, they they die very quickly against everything whenever, whenever they lose combats that's true um yeah. yeah but i i just find them to be quite a fun and challenging model because with the plus one to wounds with the throwing daggers, you can do a lot of walking around, throwing, walking around somewhere else, throwing again, charging in, throwing, doing a lot of damage before you actually fight. So I find that they provide a nice, fun, new tactical way of playing with where, where, you, where you don't have to necessarily engage into combat all the time. Yep, fair enough. So yeah, yeah. fun fun model, yeah, I, I mean, think. The, the only thing that 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 kept them off my list is sort of what we talked about earlier which is they die like flies and at least in games i've played against them um they lose a lot of fights um which makes them very vulnerable um because the the minus one um coupled with the uh with the fact that they're only fight three um sometimes means that they're going to lose a lot of fights and then they die um and they're not 
quite as cheap as other goblins are because usually when you've got a goblin you lose a fight you lose a goblin that's fine um but these guys if i'm not mistaken are seven points they are seven points um which makes them a bit more expensive um which means that you you suffer more if you lose them um but obviously the the whole uh their killing power is insane and the fact that they've got their their stupid throwing weapons that get plus one to wound because of the darkness and uh hit on fours um means that they are extremely good models yep all right uh to keep this moving i'm going to go to my number three which is Brugir the conjurer who's 80 points so you're just the... putting all of the easterlings <laughs> in your list there Dad. well we'll we'll see um so he's yes. uh He's one of the new Easterling heroes that showed up in Defense of the North. He is Fight 3, Strength 3, Defense 5, 1 attack, uh, 2 wounds, Courage 4. He has 2 Might, 5 Will, and 2 Fate. So for a caster, he's he's got some stats. Um, he uh, has the Battle Stave, which can be used as a spear or a uh, two-handed axe. Um, he uh, uh, Obviously, he can channel... Um, and he's got the Sorceress Adept rule that allows him to, uh, whenever he rolls a six on a casting test, he basically doesn't spend the will, uh, which can really extend out that that five will. He's he's In practice, he's got at least six and occasionally more um, uh, will to play around with. And his spells are Blade Wrath uh, on a two, Fury on a three, uh, Enchanted Blades on a four and Tremor on a five. Um, and the ones you end up using are Blade Wrath, in particular on the Emperor, because it affects not only him but the Palaquin. So you get a whole bunch of um, strength six attacks if you're casting that on the Emperor. Fury, if you're running into a terror problem. Uh, and then, yeah, his go to spell is Tremor, which is basically the. Uh, the, the strength six uh, cannon attack that he has where you pick a target, hit that guy, and then draw a line of D6 inches afterwards. And so, I mean, we've I've talked about Berger before. He, he basically, there's three different modes here. He's either, he's either does average and kills like, you know, about four models during a game and kind of justifies uh, his points. Um, with the other benefits that he he brings um sometimes he just he you know his spells just don't go off for whatever reason and he doesn't kill anyone and oh well and sometimes he just dominates the game and wins it for you on your own i mean i've seen i've seen Broger kill like 10 models in a game with tremor uh and you know when he yes, has one uh, of those a games, particular game comes to mind for uh for me yeah. as well yeah. <laughs> dad decided to to take his dwarves against my easterlings um and Borger decided that he was going to kill like 10 dwarves yeah um and that pretty uh, much sealed the game yeah and when, when he does that he he wins the game for you um so uh so he was my number three pick so uh okay so uh we do have to kind of move along here um so let's do uh, the number two pick from Rainier. The right to pick from Rainier is Suladan. So he number is number one. No, no, Rainier. no surprise. And I'm pretty sure that went from number one in the past into number two now. I would assume, yes. Yes. 
Um, so Suladan, um, he is a hundred points. He can have a an armored horse and a bow. Uh, he is fight five, strength four, defense five, three attacks, three wounds, courage five, three might, three will, one fate. He has uh, poison arrows. Well, in fact, poison weapons of, of all sorts. So he gets to reroll once um, when he strikes and he has poison arrows if you've given him a bow because he's a um, the leader of Heradrim. He's a hero of legend, so you can take 18 of them. Uh, and he is also a banner, so uh, his range is six inches. So he does a great job at providing very, very cheap banner support to everybody whilst being relatively cheap to bring 18 models. Uh, he's just like pretty solid hero overall. His main downside is uh, his defense five, which means if he's your leader, it's very common that he's going to take a wound. And with only one point of fate, that has actually cost me games in the past. But other than that, he's just like very reliable, very good hero, especially if you ally him in with someone like, like the Witch King and give the Witch King the leadership of the of the of, of the game of your of your army, then so that's just a very solid choice. Four attacks on yeah. charge plus reroll. Who doesn't like it? Yep, fair enough. Um, okay, so uh, for Rob's uh, uh, number two choice, he had the uh, he had the fountain court, and for the the guards of the fountain court, they are. And I cannot. I'm not capable of spitting these stats off the top of my head. I do know they are. Um, I'm remember fight four. We can. Yeah. I, I, I got it. <laughs> They're fight four, strength three, defense three, seven. Six. Seven. One attack, one wound, seven. courage seven. three, yeah, courage three, but bodyguard. Um, so the courage three doesn't come into it. They have a uh, heavy armor, dagger, and spear. You can replace the spear with a banner, which you never do. There are cheaper ways to put a banner in this list. And you can get a shield for plus one point, which I think you should defense usually seven. do if these guys are going to uh, stand in the front rank and give you defense seven all the time. Um, and they are definitely a solid foot choice at 11 points for having a bodyguarded fight for defense seven model. Um, you know, the, the only real downside about the fountain court is that they're expensive to buy and they don't come with shields. So you have to come with some way to kind of model the shield on them. That's really the only downside to the fountain court. Um, but uh, uh, they are definitely a solid choice for filling out an arm. Well, the other downside is that technically there were only four of them, and people take armies of like twenty-four. So, yeah, but we don't care about that. Either. We don't care about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, w when you take them with Boromir, you get a, a fight five, defense seven wall, which I think the only way to replicate that would be if you allied in elves and dwarves together, and with this, you don't have to do that. You can just take Boromir with Banner, which you're taking in probably most of your Gondor list anyways, and then just take a basic troop and spam them out. And there you go. You've got your crazy fight five, defense seven, Banner supported line. Yep. And uh, yeah, they're just really insane. All right. So Evan, what's your number two? Number two, um, I'm sure actually though, no one will be surprised about this one. Um, and it's my my sweet, sweet baby boy, um, Gulivar, the Terror of Arnor. Um, so to go over his stats, um, 
I mean, I don't think I even need to flip to the page. Um, he's got fight seven, uh, strength eight, uh, defense five, which is bad, obviously. Um, star attacks, um, which we'll talk about later. Four wounds, uh, courage four, um, and uh, three might, three will, and zero fate. Um, now, of course, um, the big benefits you get from him are with uh, all of his special rules, which are uh, many and all extremely powerful. So the, the first one, uh, the first two to point out are ones that I talked about with Gua here as well, um, which are, of course, um, the fly and monstrous charge special rules. And the other important special rule to point out is uh, is his strength of body, strength of will, which basically means that his attacks and courage are always equal to his remaining wounds. Um, so at four wounds, uh, which is where you want to keep him, um, he is courage four and four attacks, which means, yes, that is right. Um, when he is charging in with full wounds, he has four attacks with monstrous charge, making that five attacks. He's at fight seven, so he's winning most of his combats. And then when he knocks the model down, um, <clears throat> he gets 10 strikes at strength eight, which basically means that any model you charge with him dies if you win the fight. Um, so he's got a couple of weeks. Oh, and to, to point out as well, he's also got a mortal hunger which means even if you do wound him, he can just go and munch on a couple troops, get all his wounds back, and then run back into the fight. Um, he is just an incredible model um, because there is, I think, basically nothing that he can't kill. Um, <laughs> is there nothing he can't kill? I, I don't think I don't think I've run up against anything with him where I've gone, oh yeah, I can't kill that. Um, except maybe like a Balrog or something like Curry that. Defense models. Um, yeah, those two. But generally, you've got the Witch King or a Barrowite or something like that, which can just transfix them and mm -hmm. just stop them from doing what they want to do. And then you kill them with Golovar afterwards. Um, so he, he does have a couple of flaws. Um, one of the one I'm going to start with, which I don't believe to even be a flaw, but I think people will point out is that he doesn't have heroic strike. Um, the reason that's not a flaw is because in all of my games I've played with him, I don't think I've ever thought that he needed to use heroic strike once. Um, and that may just come down to how I play him, but I know other people here have played him. And I mean, have you guys ever found situations where you feel like you need his heroic strike? If you're really worried about needing her strike, you just her defense. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's that's the is he, is he because because the best form of offense is defense. Nice, nice saying there, Mick. But um, yeah, he's is his actual weakness is that uh, he's got low defense um and no fate. So shooting, especially shooting from something like a catapult or a siege engine that insta kills um will take him out and because he's 200 points that usually means you lose the game um but he's just so insane um he's almost impossible to kill due to the fact that he has heroic defense and the ability to get wounds back and um 
anything that tries to fight him, unless it's higher fight value than he is, will just die. Um, and that's why he he fits into my number two spot. And also, I, I took him to, to Articon, so uh, he's got a special place in my heart. Gotcha. Um, so, all right, cool. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't have anything to add. We've talked about Gulivar before, and I think uh, he is a he is a great model. Um, so I think we're on to um, make your number two. Yes, this is a model we talked about earlier. It's it's someone who's also close to my heart because I took him to Articon. It's Theodred. Uh huh. So, <laughs> I guess I'm not going to repeat myself. Right. So, so uh, yeah, let's so, let let's move on. All right. So my number two is also a model we've talked about earlier, and that's Rutabi, General of the Dragon Legion. And you know, I I, 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 I touched what number on one could be. Hmm. Yeah. Good hmm. question. I touched on uh, what um, what I like about Rutabi earlier. Um, I think the really to to sum up how how she's kind of used in the list. Uh, she has three main roles. Um, the first is uh, she gives punch to the phalanx because she's really a hero that's tough enough to take on just about any other hero. And in particular, when she's sitting in the middle of a phalanx where, um, you know, she she's on foot, but she's on foot with two pikes behind her. So she's going to get some extra strikes and there's foot on either side of her. Um, so it's not like she's going to get ganged up on in, in most circumstances. And as long as she's staying in the middle of that phalanx, it's, you know, she can, she can tank just about anything for, for quite a while. Um, and if she gets Brogier to cast blade wrath on her, or she traps somebody, um, she can do tremendous amounts of damage. That's her first role. Her second role is as a secondary might generator with that, um, master of battle, um and that uh that functions as a uh as a way to kind of because she's in the middle of the phalanx usually the person who's going to be calling the heroic move on the other side is within six inches of that and uh that means you're going to get a decent amount of extra points from her um and then her her third role is basically just as somebody you can reliably put into um somebody else's hero uh just to just to tie them up because um she's she is very hard to kill she has the fight six stats and for her 110 points she can easily tie up 150 160 even a 200 point hero um because there's no hero that can really say well i'm going to charge rutabi and i know i'm not going to die um, with the possibility of Blade Wrath uh, being popped on her and a couple pikemen uh, behind her. So she, you know, there's an argument to be made that Borgir is kind of the better choice for the Eastlings than Rutabi, but Borgir, as I said, can be on or off. Rutabi is always a solid choice and um, will always kind of anchor that phalanx in that army. So that's why I chose her as number two. All right, so um, we have Rainier. Well, Rainier's number one, number one is someone that I think both of you are going to be talking about later on. This is the Dragon Emperor. 
Yeah. And so the Dragon Emperor was also my number one as well, surprisingly enough, seeing as how things were going. Um, and so, so look, we already talked about the Dragon Emperor's stats. What we didn't talk about is the Dragon Emperor's kind of benefits within the Legion. And one of the biggest things that the Dragon Emperor brings, in addition to all of the stuff that exists in his stats, are if you take the Dragon Emperor and the Legion is everybody in the Dragon Emperor's warband um, gets free upgrades to Black Dragons, which is a 36, basically it's 36 extra points that you get to add into the army. Um, which on top of the six inch or the 12 inch banner that, um, you know, you can get like 61 points of free buffs out of this figure and, um, uh, you know, really does kind of anchor this army in a way that very few other figures in the range do. Um, and, you know, that, that, and the fact that, um, there, there are very few things because of the palaquin and the guys that that bear the palaquin and the extra strikes that they bring, um, and the um, and the fact that they can all be blade wrathed. I mean, they're people enemy enemy models fear the dragon emperor in a way that I'm not sure that another 170 point um, model causes fear um you know i I played games against people pushing gulivar and they're like i'm not putting gulivar into the dragon emperor because if i lose that fight i'm dead um and you know it it, even even with uh, uh a heroic defense being called that's entirely possible especially if say enchanted blades gets called on the dragon emperor and they're rerolling all the two wounds um and uh you know the same thing with you know, the same thing with even somebody like an Elendil or something like that. They charge in against the Dragon Emperor, and if they lose that fight, um, they're dead. I mean, the only downside about the Dragon Emperor is you have to be you have to be careful with that 80 millimeter base that the Dragon Emperor doesn't get kind of ganged up on and um killed by a bunch of slubs. Um what can happen with the Dragon Emperor is if despite the resistance to magic, the Dragon Emperor gets like transfixed and can't strike. Then people can kind of go in and be on him um, with wild abandon. And the way to take down the Dragon Emperor is not actually to kill the Dragon Emperor. It's to get rid of the Palaquin because that gets rid of most of the buffs. And you can do that over the course of a couple turns. So that's really the only downside. So, all right. So that takes care of me uh, and Rainier. Um, I guess we can... Uh, talk about rob now rob's pick not surprisingly was does it start with a b faramir captain of gondor yes rob has thoroughly endorsed faramir captain of gondor uh all right i'm not going to take this joke any further but right now right now rob is yeah uh right now rob is like tearing his hair out as he's listening to this but no it's it's in fact um uh Faramir's big brother, Boromir, captain of the White Tower. Uh 160 points when you throw on the banner, the horse, and the shield. Uh, you come in at 215 points, fight six, upped by the banner to fight seven, strength four, 
defense six up by the shield to defense seven, three attacks, three wounds, courage six, six, a mighty six might, three wounds and three fate. Um, comes with the uh, horn of Gondor, uh, which means that um, if he's outnumbered by two to one, the enemy combatants have to uh, pass a courage test. Otherwise, they automatically lose. This, yeah, this this benefit is of surprisingly limited utility because yeah, I mean, most of the time Boromir is going to win anyway. And there have been times that I played him that I've just completely forgotten about the horn, and it's been largely irrelevant because anytime he's been he's been fighting more than one uh, warrior, he's just he just wins anyway. <laughs> but um, uh, but he does have that benefit, and of course he gets the six inch banner with a plus one fight value bubble that brings all of that fight four that's from Gondor that's around him up to fight five. Um, and he is definite like the dragon emperor is for the Easterling army. Boromir really is kind of the anchor of the Minas Tirith army, at least as they're often deployed. Uh, and, and rightly so. Yeah. He's very solid. Really good. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so that's Rob. We're up to Evan. What's your top model? My top model, the model I think that is the best in the game, is Elendil. Um, mm-hmm. and the reason I, I picked him, um, obviously he is 200 points, so he is extremely expensive, just like Gulivar. But he, in my opinion, is the only hero in the game that checks every single box that I look at when I'm looking at a combat hero. So just to go over his stats really quick, um, starting off, uh, he is fight seven, um, which means that he outfights the vast majority of heroes, um, which is very important uh, when you go on to his other stats, uh, which I'm just going to go over very briefly because I think we have already gone over them. Um, uh, he was Rainier's fifth choice, I believe. Um, yep. So yeah, we don't need to do five defense. Again. Defense seven, three attacks, three wounds, courage six. He's got the three, three, one. Um, so the the traits that I really want to focus on here are one, his fight value, which is seven, which is incredibly good. Um two, he's got the three attacks, three wounds, three might, which is basically a requirement for these heroes. But then moving on to the serious stuff, which is strength five and a Master Forge Hand and a Half Sword, which means he hits extremely hard. Um, and unlike other Strength 4 heroes that can sometimes struggle to uh, chop through troops well, or um, be able to uh, to take down, down those sort of Defense 7 bulkier heroes, he has no trouble doing that. Um, he also gets a free heroic combat every turn, which means that he can just churn through troops and even heroes like Butter. Um, he can do the classic tactic of uh, bulging, where uh, you charge some warriors, call a heroic combat, and basically force um, the opponent to strike up, and then you don't even have to charge them. And it's something he can do extremely easily because his heroic combats are all free. Um, and to just to, to add on to, uh, to his power, um, he's not even vulnerable to magic. Um, because he's got his unbending resolve special rule, which means um, he gets two free uh, resist dice every single time he has a magical power cast on him. And that's 
that's what I think really makes him special because there are some models that have some of these special rules. Like for example, Aragorn has free heroics and um, he's got Andoral, which means he hits hard, but he doesn't have unbending resolve. Glorfindel, um, he's got fight seven, he's got unbending resolve, but he doesn't have the hitting power in the free heroic combats that Elendil has. So Elendil, um, is just the hero that combines all of these things together and it creates, in my opinion, the most powerful model in the game. I've, I've played games with him where he literally just solos an opponent's army. Like just him, he goes through, chops through all of the heroes, chops through all of the troops and the rest of the warriors just kind of stand around while he does everything. Um, and his heroic actions, he's got heroic defense, um, and Heroic Strike, which is basically all he needs. Um, the only minor, minor weakness I give to him um, is that uh, is that he's only got a horse. And what I mean by that is uh, he doesn't have Horse Lord. Um, he doesn't have a multi-wound steed. So his hitting power can be um, directly taken away either by using a sorceress blast trick to get him off his horse or shooting him off his horse. Then again, he's almost always allied in with either someone like Kirdan or Galadriel, which gives you blinding light, um, which means that he's more resistant against shooting. Um, so that helps patch up his weakness there. So all in all, um, because of just how, how ludicrous he is as a model, um, I put him slightly above Gullivar at my number one spot. That's a very thorough explanation. Well, I love him very much. <laughs> it's his, a bromance. His, his weakness is there is uh, he uh, he comes with Numenor, but apparently you have an alliance in red to bring him yeah, into, into so, the third um, age, probably. That I've just been sort of experimenting with taking him in everything. Um, I my one of my favorite higher points combinations is taking him with Lothlorien. Um, so doing a Numenor Lothlorien alliance because taking him with Galadriel gives you a much more reliable blinding light setter, mm -hmm. and it also means Galadriel doesn't have to be your leader, so you don't have that contested champions weakness. Um, but yes, I have experimented uh, specifically taking him in Lake Town lists, um, <sighs> where he is a red ally, um, and basically saying, sure, he doesn't get to um, benefit from heroic moves with them. However, um, he can, uh, he's just so good that, uh, that he can react in just heroic combat through entire armies and not need to worry about that. And also, right. never dies. So uh, the auto break thing really isn't a concern. All right. So the last number one call is mix. I actually had Siladon on the, on my on my top pick still. Yep. Two years later. So yeah, he's amazing. He's the best evil hero in the game. That's about it. That's all I can say. <laughs> put, put a period on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with best evil hero in the game, but he certainly he certainly is definitely a, a go to um, uh, a go to evil guy. Um, I mean, he's he's I, technically only ninety points because yeah. of the free banner. 
Um, I, yeah, I mean, all of that, all of that is true. It's just, you know, he bolts, he bolsters some lists that at least for me used to be the go-to evil lists that have now been superseded by the defense of the North lists. Um, and that's, you know, kind of the reason why he's not there. I, I mean, I haven't taken him in over a year and I think it's because I just haven't been taking the lists that he supports and uh, the lists that he makes better. So, Fair right. well, uh, okay. So that was it. That's our kind of revised uh, top five models. Um, let us know what you think and uh, uh, kind of curious to see uh, how you guys uh, would rate stuff. Um, but uh, there we have it. And hopefully we'll talk to you again in a week or so. Oh, happy new year. Happy New Year. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye -bye. Happy New Year.